It's time to build your momentum to start off your new year right with our evidence-based psychology and yoga podcast delivered directly to your earbuds five days a week. That's right. We are going to be replaying 60 of our top episodes five days a week. So we're going to be featuring expert insights, practical tips that will help you achieve your mental and physical wellness goals. From reducing anxiety and stress to improving your focus and concentration, the Wisdom for Wellbeing Momentum Season is the perfect companion for your yoga, mindfulness practices, and life. So tune in during your commute, while you're walking your dog, or while you're cleaning your kitchen to dive into the latest research and explore the powerful connection between your brain, body, and your best life. I'm looking forward to being in your earbuds pretty much daily as we kickstart your 2023 journey towards a happier, healthier, and more balanced you. Our emotions are data. So feeling sad, feeling grief, feeling trauma, feeling whatever we need to feel, whatever we're going to feel around that, whatever is evoked, makes perfect sense to the situation in which it, those feelings came to be, right? So these negative thoughts are here. What are they informing us of? What do we need to do? And now how can we sort of relate to those thoughts in a way that moves us toward who we want to be, what we want our life to look like, and what is functionally relevant to our life in therapy and outside? You're listening to the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast, the show that blends science and heart to bring you evidence-based tips and tricks for cultivating a healthy, wealthy, and meaningful life. Now, here's your host, therapist, yogi, and fellow full-life balancer, Dr. Caitlin Harkis. Hi there. Today on Wisdom for Wellbeing, I am joined by licensed psychotherapist, Holly Yates. Holly Yates has been in private practice in North Carolina since 2004 and is the co-founder of Northwake Counseling Partners in Raleigh. Her specialty areas are working with adults both individually and in groups, as well as couples addressing depression, anxiety, mood disorders, and life stressors through clinical intervention and skills training. Holly's practice centers on something called third wave therapies. Most specifically, functional analytic psychotherapy, also called FAP, and acceptance and commitment therapy, also called ACT. She is the founding facilitator of the online ACT Peer Intervention Network and a certified FAP trainer. She's presented both FAP and ACT workshops nationally and internationally. Holly is also trained in something called Dialectic Behavior Therapy, or DBT, and actually started the DBT program at Triumph LLC. DBT, ACT, and FAP are all interventions or ways of relating to the world and to your emotions that include mindfulness and acceptance as key components. And in today's interview, Holly will actually guide you through how you can use mindfulness and acceptance and your emotions as data to help you orientate towards the life that you want to create. 
Holly gives you a lot of actionable tools to implement the skills that she has found to be incredibly helpful to individuals as one struggles with, you know, the strong emotions that come with being human. I think that you'll really enjoy Holly and the wisdom that she shares. So without further ado, here's Holly now. Welcome to Wisdom for Wellbeing. It is delightful to have you here today. And for the listeners, I would have already introduced you, but it's Holly Yates and you are a psychotherapist based in North Carolina. Yes, I am. And a certified FAP trainer. Fantastic. And we're actually, I am personally really interested to hear more about FAB today, and I'm sure the listeners will be very curious as well. I would like to hear a little bit about what your motivation is for the work that you do. But since we did just use an acronym, I'm tempted to get you to just explain what FAB is really shortly, and then we'll come back to it. Absolutely. So, and thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here as well. I I'm really excited about it. Um, So FAP is an acronym for Functional Analytic Psychotherapy. And the theory behind FAP is that everything that kind of shows up in the client's life is going to show up in the session. So in FAP, we focus on the therapeutic alliance and how we make that as connecting and workable and functional as possible. So we really focus on this interpersonal efficacy between client and therapist, not only just so we have a good good, um, relationship with our client, but so that we can sort of help them shape behaviors that they can then bring into their lives in a more effective and workable way. Beautiful. So this concept that how we show up in one situation is probably a mirror for how we show up in other situations. Yeah, like have you ever had a client that comes in and obviously they come to us not because life is groovy, right? Life is hard, which is why they're coming to us to begin with. Mm-hmm. But they'll sit down and you say, you know, how are things going or whatever your opening um, statement is to them. And they say, fine, everything's good. So in that way, like, does that sort of keep you out of being connected to other people if everything's good all the time? And how can you be willing to talk to me about what actually isn't working so that you're more able to do that effectively in your life and create a more effective support system. I think this actually brings into what what is one of the um, pillars or the motivations that you have, because you mentioned there, you know, that life isn't groovy, that life is hard. And sometimes when we show up, you know, we say, oh yeah, everything's fine. And a lot of us probably toe that line, you know, at different points in our life when someone in the grocery shop asks us, or even when someone closer to us asks us how things are going. And for all of us, there are moments of challenge. And you talked about this um, normalizing process that you work through with clients. So I'm wondering if you could share about that and and what it means to be human and the challenges. Yeah. So we live in this context, right? In this culture that talks about suffering as being somehow bad, that we're not supposed Mm -hmm. to suffer. We're not supposed to feel pain, except suffering and pain is ubiquitous, right? It, it, it is there. So we want to learn how to, um, actually act in particular focuses on actually reducing the amount of suffering that we do while embracing the pain that is going to come because that's sort of the nature of the beast of being on this planet, right? So it's saying, you know, if something really terrible, to use a judgment word, actually happened, a, a great loss, an illness, something, you know, 
our emotions are data. So feeling sad, feeling grief, feeling trauma, feeling whatever we need to feel, whatever we're going to feel around that, whatever is evoked, makes perfect sense to the situation in which it, those feelings came to be, right? So, you know, people are like, I just have to think positive, or I just have to turn that frown upside down, or I just have to get rid of all those negative thoughts. It's like, you know, these negative thoughts are here. What are they informing us of? What do we need to do? And now how can we sort of relate to those thoughts in a way that moves us toward who we want to be, what we want our life to look like, and what is functionally relevant to our life in therapy and outside of it? That's really, I noticed you used the turn our frown upside down. Isn't this like something that we would have all heard because that is society's message, isn't it? That we do just yeah. need to kind of get on with things and we need, we need, I'm doing in quotation marks, need to Absolutely. feel happy. It's like that Facebook post, right? Which makes me want to go, oh, it's like, you know, choose positive. <laughs> I'm thinking, <laughs> Okay, I'm not sure how one does that, right? I mean, I think that there's a there's a, an emotion that gets evoked, and then we have the choice in which direction we're going to go, right? Am I going to, you know, what can I do in order to move? And I say this a lot, like move in the direction of what I want my life to look like, right? The choice in between the stimulus and the response, right? To quote, sort of, to paraphrase Victor Frankl. Victor Frankl, but that's yeah, and, where we have choice, right? And I can put a link to his um, man's yeah. search for meaning in the show notes as well, so people can read okay. more about his work because I think that will be relevant to this conversation as well. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned, so emotions are data. We are informed of something in the moment we experience an emotion, and then we have a choice. Could you speak a little bit to this emotions are data? What What is that sadness or what is that grief sort of telling us? Yeah. So if I, and I'm going to just kind of use pretty broad examples and some sort of examples that I've experienced in my own life, right? But let's say you have certain relationships in which you feel really punished or you're having a hard time around someone they're putting you down or, and I'm being very general around this, right? So, and you walk away from that interaction feeling really bad about yourself, about your life, about your circumstances. You know, that information is like, is that a context in which I need to put myself in or I want to put myself in, right? That's one question we can ask ourselves. You know, I'm having all these negative feelings. Is there someone that I, is there something that I need to do to talk to somebody, this person about how I feel, right? So rather than, oh, you know, maybe this is telling me that this is not a workable or effective context in which to be. Mm. Does that make sense? That makes As a lot of sense. Yeah. And it sounds like you're including within that. So you notice the emotion, maybe it's um, a sense of shame or disconnect having this interaction with a specific person or group of people. And it sounds like then what you're leading to is having this, this choice, you know, is this a situation I want to put myself in? Right. You know, if someone, if there's, you experience a loss and there's grief and deep sadness, you know, that is sort of informing us how much we care about that person yeah right so can i grieve is that okay if i take some time and grieve maybe that's exactly what i am being called to do do you know yeah that's really powerful because there is something really different about acknowledging that that means you really care versus it being an emotion that needs to be pushed away and disconnected from yourself and perhaps from that that memory yeah and and that, there's a lovely act um, Steve Hayes has, has uh, quoted this, you know, in your pain, you find your values and in your values, you find your pain. 
Yeah, it's a beautiful Which I quote. Think is a really beautiful quote. Right. And for listeners who maybe haven't heard much of ACT, there is actually an interview with Steve, um, Stephen Hayes earlier in the series. So people could go back oh, and nice. listen to that so that they understand um, what ACT or acceptance and commitment therapy is a little bit more. Right. Um, Beautiful. So we talked about um, FAP, we t- so functional analytic psychotherapy. We've talked about ACT. The other therapy that I know you are really skillful in is DBT, dialectic behavior therapy. Could you share a little bit about what the learnings are, what the principles around DBT are? Yeah, yeah. So dialectical behavior therapy um, is a therapy in which we are going to reconcile two opposites was kind of developed to treat borderline personality disorder, right? And that's yeah. been also researched and used successfully to treat people experiencing depression or anxiety, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, substance abuse, right? So it really is helping us regulate an emotionally um, dysregulated system. Okay. Right, that, that's what the modules are. And what all of these have in common um, are the acceptance piece and the mindfulness piece. Like dialectical behavior therapy focuses a lot on what is here now in this moment. Okay, so um, DBT is particularly focused on an emotionally dysregulated system. So that might be, you know, someone who is feeling really um, overwhelmed or sort of hyper aroused and perhaps hypo-aroused as well. So that would be feeling really sluggish or slow or sort of maybe a dissociative component. Is that a way of describing emotionally dysregulated systems? I think it's the intense and uncontrollable negative emotions, right? That they're often experienced. um, We experience them as having difficulty interacting in relationships, right? Okay. Difficulty um, regulating our emotion inter you know intrapersonally so does that make sense it does and so just for the listeners who might not be familiar with that language so difficulty regulating really strong emotions so you know we talked earlier about in some social situations maybe not feeling connected or feeling bad about oneself would be a really really intense experience of this sense of badness or in the case of grief that you described that's really debilitating and then in intrapersonally would mean in relationship to oneself and then one's others others as well in interpersonally is that a way of describing exactly. it we're looking yep. at you know promoting balance we're looking at looking at kind of finding the finding the balance between black and white thinking all or nothing styles of thinking right in service yeah. in service of really this kind of balance like life happens in the gray right it doesn't necessarily happen in the extremes which is something, you know, you mention um, the black and white balance and the sort of life happens in the grays. This is something I know I experience. Like I have these experiences. Mm-hmm. I imagine you do too. Would you be able to share a bit about why we have these experiences of perhaps our minds sort of turning to the negative more quickly than um, that might be ideally helpful? Yes, yes. So so there's an evolution, evolutionally um, important component to why we have a negative bias, right? It kind of saves us, right? It sort of like saves us from get, getting eaten by a bear or, 
you know, saves us from starving or saves us from being caught out in the elements once upon a time, right? That's, that's what it was in service of. So we are sort of hardwired to problem solve and to problem find. So if there's like a big boom outside of my office, for example, I'm probably not going to sit there and say, oh, everything's fine. No big deal. My nervous system, right? My parasympathetic nervous system is going to be on all kinds of alert and it's going to lead me to saying, okay, what was that? That can't be good. So I'm going to find out what that was so that in fact, if it is fine, that I can then sort of normalize that for myself, right? But if I sat there and something was on fire or a transformer blew or, you know, something happened then I wouldn't be able to problem solve that. Yeah, so it's it really is keeping you alive. It's it's survival at its yeah. core. Yeah, so I you know, I feel like those thoughts, like the way I approach it with my group and with my individual clients and in my own life is that I feel like those thoughts are sort of a protector of me. Mm. Like you know, thank you for like maybe like an overprotective parent in a way that really loves me that says, you know what? Okay, we're going to go to the worst possible scenario because you're trying to protect me. And you know what? I don't need protecting right now in this moment. I think I got this. As opposed to fighting against that thought. I can't have that. I can't have that. I can't have that. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. I love that analogy of it being an overprotective parent. And then it sounds like you kind of kindly respond back like, I've got this, rather yeah. than going into this fighting mode. Exactly. Like, I can't have this. I can't have this. Like, anybody that's ever said, I can't have this, I don't know that that ever goes away. That certainly hasn't been in my experience. I can't Tell have this me feeling. a bit I about just can't have that, it. that it never goes away. Yeah. Because so I wonder if, if yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I wonder if this links into the work that you do and the groups that you're leading, which I'm interested to hear more about, but let's, um, yeah, why, why does it never go away? How does that work? I think because the more we try to push something away, the more it comes back, right? It's yeah. kind of like there's this nice exercise in um, Get Out of Your Mind and Into Your Life, which is an ACT workbook. And, and it's like, don't think, you know, of a yellow Jeep. No matter what you do, do not think of it. So what I would ask you right now is what are you thinking of? Yeah, the yellow team. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like that. So if it's like I, I can't have these bad feelings, that's pretty much all I'm going to be thinking of. Yeah. So the more we try and push something away, it's going to be there. Our minds are most primed for it. Yeah. So how, how do you support people through this? Because like these feelings are uncomfortable and icky at times and they can drive a lot of perhaps unhelpful behavior you know you mentioned earlier that there's this messenger we have in the emotion and then we have a choice but sometimes it seems to me like in my own life and certainly when I you know watch and work with my clients that there doesn't seem to be a choice point it seems like there's this automatic um, wish or will or action to getting away from these feelings What's your method to support people to have that choice to empower them? I think that's where sort of core mindfulness and DBT or present moment awareness or mindfulness and fabric act would really come in. Like, how do I notice where I am right now in this moment? Yeah. What do I do to have to notice whatever it is that I'm experiencing right now in this moment? Right. What is it? How is it serving me? 
Is it something that is going to make me move once again in the direction of what I want my life to look like, how I want this relationship to look like, how I want this job performance today to look like, to actually be with it and make room for it, right? To sort of ride that out. Like this is happening now. Yeah. And with that mindfulness, you mentioned that the the two concepts that really underpinned third wave therapy and the work that you do specifically in FAP, ACT and DBT was mindfulness, which you're describing now and acceptance. Mm -hmm. And acceptance in DBT, radical acceptance is accepting reality as it is right now in this moment. You know, a lot of, you know, if you've had a difficult childhood, right. And we, we go back, if it only had been different, if it only had been different, if this had been what my life would be, then this would be what my life is now. And what we know is that there is nothing that we can do to go back and make any of that any different. Mm -hmm. So kind of, so learning how to accept and acceptance kind of gets a bad rap because it's not resignation and it's not giving up. It's really making room for this is what it was. And now that I notice that this is what it was, what do I now want my life to be? Like, it's not my fault that my childhood was what it was, right? And if, if someone really, really had a difficult, difficult childhood, and I, I, you know, you and I work with that a lot, right? There's a mm. lot of, of pain that people have had in their lives. We've had it. Um, so it's like, I, it is not your fault that you were born into the family that you were born into. It is not your fault that your parents treated you the way they treated you or teachers did or siblings did or grandparents did. It is now, though, our responsibility to notice that and identify how we want to move through the world. That's where our choice comes in. That's where our agency, if you will, comes in. Okay. So in that point of accepting things are the way they are in this moment, that's where you get the agency and the choice to create your life from this point going forward. I, th I think so. That's kind of the, that's been what's been affected for me. It's what's affected for my clients. It's what's affected for my groups. Yeah. Tell me a bit about your groups, Holly. So I started this third wave therapy being trained as a DBT therapist. And when I stopped worth working with the kind of borderline population, I still found that there were so many of those skills that were absolutely useful that people liked, that I really liked. Um, you know, sort of the mindfulness skills are really, really effective. I think the looking at what behaviors are interfering with our lives are really is really effective and and i think interpersonal effectiveness that whole module um those kind of acronyms and moving through effective relationships are really helpful would you mind so, just um sorry to interrupt but just because pe people might not be familiar with dbt and the modules would you mind just describing what the four modules are and how they work together yes so the four modules are core mindfulness and emotion regulation distress tolerance and interpersonal effectiveness and I don't know if it's necessarily in that order. Um, that's kind of the order that I, I have worked with them. Um, and core mindfulness is kind of woven throughout each of the modules. So um, with interpersonal effectiveness and how it works, I think, so well in group is that group is a microcosm of what our life is like, right? So how I show up in group 
similarly in FAP is how I show up in my individual session and also um, how I show up in my life. So we shape really functional, effective, workable behaviors as best we can within the context of a group. Beautiful. And with regards to behaviors that are workable, you did talk earlier about moving towards um, you know, a life that you were choosing, that you wanted. So I'm gathering that's what would define whether a behavior is functional or not, as if it takes you towards the future you'd like to create for yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and in act, we look at you know, a values-driven life. Like what are the things that really are important to you in your life? What matters to you in your life? What makes your life meaningful? and purposeful and what can I do to move in that direction as best I can. So you incorporate DVT skills and yeah, continue on, sorry, describing your group. <laughs> so the DVT skills I mostly work on, in the beginning we look at what interfering behaviors are, like what behaviors interfere with my quality of life, with my relationships, with my therapy, right? Those are basically what I focus on and people begin to identify those. And then we look at, we put those into the core processes and psychopathology of ACT. And then we look at how clinically relevant behaviors map onto that in functionality, looks like psychotherapy um, in FAP. And we also learn how, we also um, learn how to practice present moment awareness, which is in each, which is in every third wave therapy. Like what am I doing right now in this moment in service of what I want my life to look like. So if I'm very anxious, you know, how do I bring that to what's happening right now, right? If I'm really anxious about what might happen tomorrow, well, I'm not at tomorrow. And having my, you know, having that spinning rumination about living in what might or might not happen tomorrow is taking me out of any kind of quality of life that I have today, right now. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. That, sound, yeah. that sounds really empowering to be able to learn the skills to come back to live one's life as well as to notice what's going on because it sounds like there's a noticing and an acknowledgement. And you also mentioned earlier understanding, well, of course you're having these feelings, like your emotions are messengers and you're kind of creating space for them without necessarily pushing them away. Although at times maybe experiencing the full intensity might not be the most helpful. And I guess that's where you make a choice to take a little bit of space. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, and we want to look at what's functional, like sitting in an emotion that's distressing when it's overwhelming is not going to be functional, right? So in that regard, we would want to, we would want to do something to tolerate our distress a little bit more, maybe go running, maybe, you know, watch some TV, right? And then eventually come back to the thing that it is that we're, that we need to pay attention to. So it is, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, you continue and then I'll come back to it. You know, we want to do what's contextually appropriate. It's not the behavior that we're looking at necessarily, but how that behavior is functioning. Like, is that behavior helping me open up to my life or is that behavior keeping my life small? Is that behavior moving me into relationships or is that behavior keeping me away from? So it really is functional and contextual, right? All of this sort of is based on functional contextualism. Like how is behavior happening in the context in which it's created and now is it functioning to move my life in a workable, effective direction? 
How could listeners take this away? Like what would they need to know to be able to explore their behavior as to whether it's functional and what the context is, the contextual element. Is there an easy, I guess, mm-hmm. overview? I know it won't be, I know you probably go into this over weeks in your <laughs> groups, but is there an easy way of describing it or? Well, you know, behaviors always make sense in the context in which they came to be. Okay, so, so that always makes sense. <laughs> yeah, in, in the context in which they came to be, I think they always make sense. So if you were born into like an alcoholic family, for example, and I'm, I'm using a lot of um, sort of hyperbolic, dramatic kind of um, examples, um, and you never knew what you were going to get when you walked in the door. So you're always kind of on high alert, right? That's a functional way to be in that context. You never knew, like, do I go in and sit down and have dinner or do I have to go to my room, right? Those behaviors, internal behaviors and external behaviors make an awful lot of sense in this maladaptive context. Then as we move through our life and we're not necessarily around people that are, that we have to be afraid of, we have to examine if those behaviors are still working in the way that they were originally designed to work. And if they're not, that's when we kind of experience this sort of incongruency with what's happening inside and happening outside. And then, then we can say to ourselves, you know, this isn't functioning anymore. Like this person wants me to come home and sit down and have dinner with them every night or mostly every night. Like me avoiding them is not serving the purpose that it did once upon a time. So there's looking back and reflecting on where certain behaviors or expectations developed and then looking at the current situation. And like you said, seeing if there's an incongruency, if maybe what's happening now doesn't make the same amount of sense that it does in this current context in regards to where you want your life to head and what you're valuing in this moment. Absolutely. And, and in all that, like in, in these therapies, we want to shape overarching intrinsic positive reinforcement, right? So we want to do things that we get positively reinforced by externally so that we can begin to experience them internally and integrate them into how we identify and shape um, toward life directions that connect us to our values and that connect us to other people. So positive reinforcement, what would that look like? (laughs) So I want to do things. So for example, if I'm bringing somebody donuts, right? And they say, oh, thank you so much for bringing me donuts. I really appreciate it. And then I kind of feel really good about myself for that. And they've appreciated it. That's kind of a positive reinforcing circumstances in which I can be able to say to myself, oh, okay, I think I'm going to bring this person donuts. It's been reinforcing. Now, if I've been bringing people donuts and they start taking it for granted and I actually get punished by it by saying, oh, well, you didn't bring me the cream puff ones, I'm probably not going to continue to bring the donuts because it's not um, reinforcing that behavior that we want to continue. Mm -hmm. So we want to learn how to shape these overarching reinforcements that we can intrinsically begin to feel and and express 
Beautiful. Right, so, we want to activate behaviors that will broaden those repertoires. Okay. So someone listening to this right now, um, and they're kind of thinking, okay, how could I shape behaviors in my own life that are going to help reinforce things that will get me towards my values? Like, I guess a, a common one that that's pretty broad that I might tap on and see if you have an example for is a lot of people have the intention or recognize that engaging in more physical activity might be helpful in their life in terms of their health, as well as their like emotional health and well-being. Can you think of a way we might be able to sort of help positively shape someone in that domain? Absolutely. And none of this is easy, right? It all takes a lot of work. <laughs> like, I wish it was really easy. Um, but what we would do in a circumstance like that, and certainly in, in terms of shaping any of these behaviors, is to look at the consequences. Like, what happens after I do this? Like, what are the long-ranging long range consequences, right? So I wake up in the morning and I don't feel like going to the gym. I just don't feel like it. So I don't go. And in that moment, I feel okay, which is why I don't go. But then later on, I'm like, oh, why didn't I go? So what we're going to do is think that all the way through, like not just in that immediate sort of negative reinforcer, but in the all the way to the end, like, okay, so I am going to get up. If I go to the gym, how am I going to feel later in the day? I'm going to feel great later in the day. So can that inform my behavior? That's really empowering. Hard, I imagine, to keep it in mind, but it sounds like if you had that um, vision of how you would feel later in the day, that would make it a lot easier to kind of get oneself out the door, which is a huge challenge for all of us. Absolutely, for all of us, because the immediate um, avoidance is gratifying. Mm -hmm. Whew, I don't have to go. I can sleep a little longer. Yay. But after that, I start to punish myself, right? Like, oh, my gosh, I'm such a loser. Why didn't I get to the gym? Ah. So now I can say, you know what? If I went to the gym, I would have felt much better. So guess what? Tomorrow I'm going to get up and go to the gym because I know that the consequences are going to be reinforcing. Okay. I like how consequences is positive here. Oh yeah. I know. It's interesting. Yeah. It's like, you know, you're going to get consequences if you don't, well, consequences can be very positive. Consequences drive behavior, right? So I keep going to these parties and hang out with these friends that I really love because I feel really good after I do that. Or I, which, which lets me know that, oh, I can hang out with these people if they're Cool. Or I keep going to this party and I feel terrible about myself. The consequences are, yeah, I'm not going to do that again. Why would I do that again? That's really interesting too. So you kind of mentioned the consequence is what reinforces the behavior, both in terms of changing behavior or continuing with behavior, mm -hmm. but you also highlighted that in the case, for instance, of exercise and maybe in terms of these parties as well, it's when you sit back and you go, oh, like I've felt like crap the entire day because I didn't go to the gym and now I'm judging myself. Or in the case of the party, maybe it feels okay for someone when they're actually there, depending on what's going on. But when they sit back after and they reflect and go, actually, I'm not feeling very good about myself now, that might be what needs to be reflected on when they make the decision as to whether or not they attend the next party. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, we, I, I think most of us have situations in which we keep going historically to the same people for um, sort of validation or 
to value what we do and we don't get it and we never get it and we've never gotten it mm -hmm. and odds are we never will get it so maybe i'm not willing to cut off that relationship because it's my parent or my sibling or my cousin or my spouse or my child or like maybe i'm not willing to cut that relationship off but where can i look at changing how i um respond and react to that relationship maybe you know what if i need validation in this case i'm not going to go to that person maybe that's not what i bring to them so you might notice different relationships are useful for different purposes or different people can provide different things to you absolutely so coming back to that because that is that something you explore in your group as well like indeed yeah tell me a bit about how this fits into the framework you use so a big thing certainly in you know in in dbt group is that we have kind of rules um overall sort of rules on how you lead group and one of the things that or guidelines one of the things that is really important one of the guidelines is no advice giving so rather than saying to someone well you should or didn't you or you had to that that you know we've all experienced that i don't want to say we've all but i've certainly experienced that as being very invalidating if i've done something that's been painful and somebody says to me oh well you really should do this right that's hard but if somebody can say you know what when i experienced this this is what i did and it was really helpful for me that can be a much um more effective way of relating to each other and then therefore relating to ourselves and that kind of situation so in group we we get really sort of clear like is what you're doing how you're relating to this person and their situation is that effective in relationship to each other and is that helpful to them and people will say you know that's not helpful or that feels like advice giving. And what that does is help them be more clear about how they want to interact in their lives outside of group. That's so empowering to think that you could be receiving this real time information on how you're conducting yourself, which is obviously with the best of intentions, but might not be received or felt that way to someone else in the group. And how powerful is it, you know, and this is FAP as well, because FAP is all interpersonal, but how powerful is it when I'm able to stand up for myself and say, um, you know what, that, that wasn't the most effective way to tell me that, right? Maybe you could tell me that in another way and that actually be received. You know? I wonder if that's also something people would take out of the group as well, being able to communicate in real time with people in your life about the way they're expressing something or doing something that isn't working for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it sounds like this is a real, um, a real time feedback situation that you create in these groups. And it's also... Mm -hmm you know for instance people taking away no advice giving and giving feedback to others this is something i think that the listeners could be thinking how can i implement this in my life yeah and i think it's you know when we're giving feedback or you know it's more reinforcement like how can i reinforce what is working so that we can continue to have it working so you know we'll shape up like i'm so glad you told me that like i'm so glad caitlin that you told me that i feel really sort of encouraged to keep doing what I'm doing because now I know that it works for you, right? So 
you know, that's kind of how we want to learn how to interact with each other. And of course, not everybody in our life outside of this context is going to be that for us. And then we learn to discriminate that as well. Okay. So it's taking, you know, outside where we kind of have these conversations. Not everyone may be able to receive or it might not be someone um yeah, that I, I guess fits what we're looking for in a situation, but where something is working in our lives, rather than just saying, oh, this needs to change, we can actually say, actually, this is really working for me and give that positive feedback to further shape that behavior. Yes. That's incredible. So you mentioned earlier, Holly, I'm jumping back, but you mentioned how people can tolerate distress and you gave some examples when emotions are feeling really, really strong, just because I'm thinking, you know, for someone to go and have a conversation, for instance, where things are more difficult, if there's a strong emotion it might not be the easiest time for someone to have a conversation. And you gave some skills like, you know, watching TV for a bit or going for a run just to tolerate distress. Could you share a little bit about that? Because I think, you know, all of us would have had periods of really strong emotions. How can we get through those? What does it mean to develop like skills to, to tolerate this? So I think it's sort of like developing a toolbox and kind of knowing um, internally what you're experiencing. So if I feel that my emotions are being really intense and this also and, and I just can't talk about this right now. I'm gonna say something that I regret or I'm not gonna be able to communicate this in a way that is effective. What can I do so I can, I don't know, maybe calm myself down a bit or make room for this distress or uh, do something that moves me toward a value, like maybe I can go for a run. Maybe I can go splash water on my face or take a shower. Um, whatever's in our toolbox, people listen to music, people exercise, people do yoga. Sometimes it's as simple as putting my hand on my chest and breathing into it to slow myself down. Like what is in your toolbox? I love the idea of toolbox. <laughs> and then how do I come back to that in a way, you know, that I can shape um, effectiveness and workability, which really we're not, we're not kind of judging these things as good or bad. We're judging or evaluating like what is going to work and what is going to be effective. What is going to work and what is going to be effective. So toolbox, that's um, a great term, I think, to help listeners kind of start to think what they would put in their toolbox, what they could use. And you gave some great examples there. So it might be that listeners kind of could go away. I could even put a prompt in the show notes and suggest creating a toolbox and they could take some of these examples, be it putting their hand on their chest and breathing into it, watching, you know, a little bit of TV for a moment, doing yoga, going for a run, whatever for them listening to music is going to feel good or buy them a little bit of space so they can come back to figure out more clearly what's effective and what's going to provide that workability for them. Yeah, and that's for the most intense emotions or for something that comes up. Like, I, can I give you a little example of something I that happened? I love an example. Okay. So uh, my daughter, who's now um, in her first year of college, a couple of years ago, she was sitting at the kitchen table. I had just gotten home from work, and I was unloading the dishwasher, and she's just talking, talking, talking. And, of course, I'm delighted that she's talking, talking, talking. It's wonderful. And I dropped a glass in the dishwasher, and the whole thing broke into like a bazillion little pieces, right? So clean dishwasher 
and now I have to unload it, clean it out, reload it, right? So immediately the emotion came up in me that wanted to say, why did you talk to me while I was unloading the dishwasher? That's immediately where I wanted to go with that because I was feeling emotionally dysregulated myself, right? Now, so I practiced these skills. So I happen to have been skillful in this particular instance. And it also was a dishwasher. So it's not like the worst thing in the world. But I could have said, you know, why are you talking to me while I'm unloading the dishwasher? I just broke a glass. Didn't you notice? I? And then I would have felt terrible. She would have felt terrible. It wouldn't have been good. And she wouldn't have continued talking to me about her day, right? So instead, I took a moment and she sort of looked at me like, oh, mom. And I took a moment. I put my hand on my chest. I breathed in. I said, you know what? Why don't you go put your book bag down? I will go change. I'll leave the dishwasher for a moment. Um, I will go put on my sweatpants. I'll come down. We can talk. And then we can clean out the dishwasher together. And it was very effective. That is incredible. That sounds like it became a really beautiful moment from what was a really unfortunate situation. And I, I, you know, hearing it even, I think, oh, I would have had the same response when something feels overwhelming and unfortunate. Sometimes we do go into this attack mode most immediately, don't we? Like, why did you make me do that? (laughs) She didn't make me do that. You know, it was whatever I was clumsy or I wasn't paying attention or, you know, so that's what we want to begin to develop with those kind of, you know, mindfulness, distress tolerance skills. It's like, you know what, I'm going to step away. I'm going to take a moment and then I'm going to come back to it in a much more skillful way. And then, you know, being able to look at the consequences, like if I had yelled at her, that would not have gone well. I would have certainly apologized, but I couldn't have taken away that pain that I just inflicted in that moment. Yeah, that's such a beautiful example, Holly. That's so real. I think myself and probably all of the listeners are nodding their heads and resonating. Yes, that's something that we can relate to. And what a good example of where we can get to if we've primed ourselves to be able to practice these tools to regulate ourselves, to notice when we're starting to move into a state of dysregulation, when we're feeling overwhelmed, and then to use something like the hand on the chest just to bring us back. Right. And, and because we are pro-social beings that need interpersonal connection, I mean, we need it. You know, one of the biggest causes of depression is loneliness, is being disconnected from people, right? That's kind of World Health Organization data, I think from 2017. But we need to be connected and we live in a world in which we're largely disconnected. So some of these back um, processes and ACT and DBT processes are designed as a way um, to get us more connected to each other. So to get more connected to each other, I guess, you know, as we move toward towards the end of the conversation, I think you mentioned, you know, we are such pro-social behaviors. I, I wonder if for a lot of people then showing up in relationships in a really, in a manner that is connecting, you know, like you were with your daughter, if that's going to be something that ultimately people would like to be guided by, would it be worth starting to link in a bit of values or how it is that we decide what it is we'd like to move towards and create this meaningful life? I think that's beautiful. And that's sort of, I can't 
kind of do FAP without ACT or ACT without FAP. Like I, I don't ever separate them anymore. You know, I think what FAP does so powerfully is that it answers sort of the question, like what should I do in this particular moment? In this session, what is the most appropriate thing for my client right now in this moment? And a lot of that, in my experience, is what leads them toward a life that is meaningful, like what matters to them, like what is a value domain of theirs. So in that moment, you are guided by your client's values and knowing what your client's values are, what their domains are. Right. And I, I have to find that out by asking them, right, by responding to what their behaviors are, by being able to sort of um, identify, identify what we call in session as clinically relevant behaviors, like what's coming up in session that is either an improvement or kind of a presenting issue for this client. Yeah. So to get people like reflecting on their values in session or in group, do you, do you talk to them about it? Do you get them to do questionnaires? How do people come to find their values? Absolutely. I think one of the first things that I'll ask people, and I think this is on um, sort of an act matrix, if people want to Google that, that's a really helpful tool. Um, but like, I'll ask people, like, what matters to you? What's important to you? What do you want your life to look like? What do you want it to be around? It's a pretty provocative and provocative question. And people generally stay, you know, my family, my romantic relationships, my children, if they have children, my career, um, my financial stability. Like there's a lot of values that are important to people. And then we'll say, well, what are you doing that's moving you in that direction? And what kind of things get in the way? Let's sort of map that out. Like, would you be willing to move through what's getting in the way to, in service of what's important to you and what matters to you? That's really powerful, supporting people to reflect on what they want their life to be about and then bringing up that question, you know, are you willing to move through the hard stuff to live that life in service of your values? Yeah. And, and you know, I'm a person, I'm pretty honest with my clients. I think all of these therapies, all of these these third wave therapies are kind of like we're in partnership and there's a lot of disclosure in service of the client right so that's that's sort of the caveat to disclosure like i i tell my clients i have been anxious like anxiety is part of how i am made and i have had anxiety that has prevented me from moving in a in a direction of what matters to me um so i know what that that feels like to have that stop you right so it's you know is this thing important to me and am i willing to move through it in service of what's important to me irrespective of what is coming up on the inside of my skin which for me would generally be anxiety and the answer has been yes i now am and then what are those behaviors and that's how we begin to shape them. We identify them and then we do them, you know, like little by little. I think this is a perfect note to finish off on because how empowering that people could ask themselves these questions around what they want their life to be about. I can put a link to the ACT matrix and I can actually, I'll go back and quote exactly what your questions were, Holly, in the show notes so people can go back and reflect what do they want their life to be about and how are they going to move towards creating this life? You gave an example of anxiety, which is something, you know, I think so many of us have experienced and 
struggled with, but it sounds like this framework you offer of how to manage it if it's really intense, perhaps using distress tolerance skills, but also then actually taking steps towards living a life that is meaningful for us, even if it feels a bit uncomfortable in the moment, is something we could all, all benefit from reflecting on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, pain is going to be part of it. And if we're able to recognize that as soon as something is really, really important to me, there's going to be pain there. I may not get it. I may get it and lose it. Something might, I mean, there are so many variables around that, right? But the key is, I think, for myself and for clients that I work with is to keep an eye on that and to really kind of begin to track what's working. I think any listeners who are in the North Carolina area, their ears are going to be perking up because what we've been talking about today is so human, isn't it? And it's the struggles we go through and learning skills to be able to you know, work through these challenging experience, these um, uncomfortable emotions that we might call data, you know, oh, that's, yeah. it's tough. So where, where can people find you? They can find me on, certainly I have a psychology today profile. Yeah. Um, and I'll put links to all of this in the show notes. Some people do want to just be able okay. to click, but I think it's helpful for them to hear it. So yeah. And I am in private practice. Um, my practice is called Northway Counseling Partners. And um, it is on Six Forks Road on, in Raleigh, North Carolina. So I'll, they'll have a link to any way that they would want to connect with me. Beautiful. And so that listeners know, Holly offers both individual therapy and group therapy. And I think connecting with her, if it's resonating, even if maybe you're not in the area, you know, reaching out via Facebook or just kind of keeping abreast of what she's up to is a really useful way of you know, seeking and absorbing some of the wisdom that she's sharing in this incredibly integrated approach, you know, with the underpinnings of acceptance and mindfulness that to me, this is such a resonant conversation. So thank you so much, Holly. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I, and, and I even had a bunch of anxiety coming into this. So if I flubbed it a little bit, I moved through it anyway. Right. So that's kind of the deal. It's like, this was really important to me. And with all the nerves, you know, jetting about in my skin, I was like, okay, let's do it because it matters to me a lot. Like connecting with other clinicians like you really matters to me. Um, disseminating this information really matters to me. So I'll be willing to do it however it shows up, you know. That's such a normalizing, again, normalizing <laughs> example, because I think, you know, we do feel so alone, don't we, when we have these experiences of anxiety. And at least for me, my temptation is to hide and to shy away. But knowing that coming out and engaging and connecting is ultimately what will fill up my cup. So thank you for sharing your experience, because it's so similar to my own and probably so similar to everyone else's who's listening. It's amazing, isn't it? It's like, oh my gosh, you too, me too. It's like so connecting yeah. well so this, thank you oh it's my absolute pleasure holly it's been a delightful conversation so thank you for staying a little bit later tonight so that we could connect and yeah i hope that um i hope that we get to connect soon absolutely me too i hope that you found this interview with holly as interesting and actionable as i did 
I really love how Holly so clearly conveys that emotions contain really useful information and that you can use that information and exploring the context in which they arise to help you figure out what is the most effective action, the most important moves that you can make to creating a life that you love that is in alignment with your well-being. In order to connect with Holly further, please head to wisdomforwellbeingpodcast.com and have a look at the show notes. There you'll find links to her private practice at Northwake Counseling Partners, as well as her contact details. And if you have been enjoying these Wisdom for Wellbeing episodes, we would really, really appreciate if you would just take a moment to leave a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. It helps others hear about the podcast. And of course, the more people that have access to this wisdom, the better for our communities. I'm looking forward to connecting with you next Wellbeing Wednesday, and I hope that you have a wonderful week until then. All right, bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. Please visit drcaitlin.com to connect find show notes, other episodes, and to subscribe. While you're at it, if you find value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating or perhaps simply tell a friend about the show. Wisdom for Wellbeing is not a substitute for professional, individualized mental health treatment. If you are in crisis, please contact 000, your local emergency number if you are outside of Australia, or attend your local hospital ED.